0: Hello and welcome to this Cove Podcast. Today we have the pleasure of interviewing Warrant Officer Class 1, Nathan Cole. Nathan has held a number of operational, training and representative roles, including Regimental Sergeant Major of the 4th Regiment, Royal Australian Artillery. In 2021, he was selected to attend the United States Sergeant Major Academy, initially as a student and then in 2022 as an instructor. Nathan has just returned to Australia and in 2024 has been appointed the Regimental Sergeant Major of the 7th Brigade. Nathan has written two articles for the Cove in the past, being Helping People Grow and Are Australian Sergeant Majors Adequately Trained? He has a passion for the development of our people, something we will discuss in today's podcast. But before that, let's find out a bit more about Nathan and his posting to the United States Sergeant Major Academy. Nathan, welcome. You're an artilleryman by trade. What year did you join, and what made you join the army? Uh, good morning, mate.
1: Artillery man by trade, so bit of a, I suppose, a, a family tie there. So effectively, I'm a, a, well, I just found out, I'm a fourth generation artilleryman, a fourth generation gunner. So my great grandfather, grandfather, and my father uh, were all in artillery. So that was a, to be honest, I wasn't really leaning towards the army. It was sort of a last minute
0: decision, I suppose. But you well, your your family yeah. must be terribly proud.
1: Yeah, well, Mark, initially I was getting uh, the uh, RIs at Kapuka were trying to get me uh, to go to infantry, but uh, I, uh, I held strong um, and ended up going to, to artillery. So, no regrets, although it would have been different, definitely going infantry. But uh, so I, I joined in uh, 1994, and actually, fun fact, it was my 20 29 year anniversary yesterday.
0: Congratulations, well done, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, so um, it was. Uh, and it's quite interesting that it, there's still a few of us uh, still kicking around. So, yeah, it's um, been a good ride so far.
0: Good on you. Well done. And uh, obviously you've been in and out of a lot of artillery units. What other postings have you done?
1: Uh, so I've been quite lucky there. So um, similar to other people, a mix between regimental and, and trade sort of appointments. But that, that's also included uh, being a divisional CNCO slash instructor at the Australian Defence Force Academy for a couple of years. Uh, as a Warren Officer Class 2 at the Warren Officer and NCO Academy, instructing on Subject 1 for War, war Officer Class 2 courses. And I also had a short stint before I went over to the United States uh, within the Headquarters 3 Brigade training cell. Uh, I was acting RSM there, uh, Brigade RSM for a bit, and I was also had the, the opportunity to, to be thrown to CTC live for a few months just before I, uh, I went over to the United States.
0: What has been your favourite posting?
1: Oh, for me, I suppose as a soldier, I I always aspired to be a regimental sergeant major. So, being the RSM of 4th Regiment, the unit that I started, uh, well, close to 29 years ago, that was definitely a highlight for me. Fantastic.
0: Let's get in now and talk a bit about the United States Sergeant Major Academy. Firstly, what is it? So, the,
1: the United States Sergeant Major Academy is effectively, well, we used to call it USASMA and it's still referred to in, in um in schema as USASMA. So it's now called the Sardant Major Academy um, by itself. And effectively it's a directorate of what the US call the NCO Centre of Excellence. So Nickelco. So Nickel Co is effectively an organisation that sits within Tradoc and is responsible for the delivery of training for all of its NCOs, being junior, senior, and and, and so forth. Yeah, and that, that's about it, really. So to sort of elaborate a little bit further, the, it's a, a unique organisation that Nickel, Nickel Co. is actually run only by enlisted soldiers. So it has a commandant, which is a sergeant major. So there's no officers that sit within uh,
0: Nickel Co. itself. Oh, wow. All right, And, and what exactly did you learn uh, and how do you think what you learned is making you a better sergeant major
1: the the actual sergeant major course over there so it has is there's, there's two different courses so there's one that's residential which goes for 10 months and then you have a, dis- a distant learning one uh, which goes over a, a couple of years but don't quote me on that because obviously I, my experience was a bit different but yeah the, so it's a 10 month academic course that is centered around providing tools to senior soldiers to develop critical reasoning creative thinking to assist in that or being able to make decision-making skills relative to our job as senior soldiers and senior advisors. Now the course itself, it's broken up into five departments and you have to do obviously those five departments over those 10 months and that, that consists of Department of Professional Studies, Department of Joint Interagency, Intergovernmental and Multinational Operations, Department of Force Management, Department of Army Operations and Department of Command Leadership. Now, I'll just talk to what those departments actually go through just to give you some uh, some background if you want.
0: Yeah, please, yes.
1: Okay, so first of all, Department of Professional Studies or, so, or DPS. Now, this department aims to produce thoughtful and well-informed SARB majors that cultivates individual freedom through reflection and self-awareness. So it leads or guides students for individuals to think critically and make good decisions in the future, and it's it's more the topics themselves are, are sort are more on the broader context of uh, of the U.S. Army relative to military issues and role of the sergeant major in the armed forces itself. Uh, so that's DPS in a nutshell. Now Department of Joint Interagency, Intergovernmental, and Multi-Operational covers so Dijmo, as the name sort of depicts or denotes. Uh, this is the joint component of the course so uh, it covers often the joint professional military education uh, component of the sub-major course with the theme of instruction addressing significant portions and objectives of the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff so a little bit different in regards to terminology and what we're used to here and emphasizes uh, again critical thinking analysis and problem solving to explore the application of joint doctrine so specifically it goes uh, in depth into that strategic uh, joint space, uh, you have to write a couple of essays in, in regards to that and also be able to You're part of a, a staff planning scenario or multiple uh, staff, uh, staff planning scenarios and you have to um, uh, give certain briefs relating to that. Now, continue on. Department of Force Management or DFM. Uh, this, this department introduces, I suppose, criteria in regards to how to and why in determining force requirements and alternative methods of alternate means i should say of resourcing soldier training and requirements so effectively it covers off on how the army runs Uh, so heavily linked to sustainment but in a broader context uh, understanding of what the army uh, has currently so that what is present what the army wants in the future doing the analysis and then Actually, making decisions in regards to how the organisation is going to grow, and then providing resources and money to achieve that. Uh, moving on to Department of Operations, similar to what we we sort of do throughout our training sort of continuum, it, that covers us, covers off on the, the critical thinking, analysis, and problem solving linked to Army operations. So that military decision making process, and it also well with the intent to develop perspectives and. Feasible solutions, similar to what we do, using the military decision-making process and Army design methodology. And then the last one being Department of Command Leadership, as the name also denotes, focuses on attributes and competencies required of an operational strategic leader in today's Armed Forces, centred on the theme of when students become a sergeant major, their span of control, uh, in that it will potentially decrease, if you know what I mean by that, uh, however, their sphere of influence will increase significantly. Uh, so this, this delves, or the curriculum delves into those leadership components and again, once again, trying to enhance that critical and creative thinking. And also this department will we, well, we honed in on uh, ethical decision making as well.
0: Okay. And what about the junior NCOs? Being that it is the non-commissioned officer leadership for excellence, is there other courses for NCOs, senior NCOs and the likes?
1: Yeah, there is, mate. So similar to how we are structured with our respective subject ones, subject two, subject fours within our trade and all core training continuum, they have basic, advanced and then sort of mid-level uh, courses as well uh, that, they, um, that they teach as well.
0: All this training sounds uh, really good. It's sort of like a uh, LWC on steroids. Uh, can we talk a bit about um, being a Sergeant Major and your, your most recent COVE article, Are Australian Sergeant Majors Adequately Trained? In your article, you talk about the loss of the sub-three suite of courses and possible education gaps for us here in Australia. What difference do you see in the Sergeant Majors in the US and what can we do better?
1: That's a great question, mate. So, again... I, I, have, I have this saying that when I was over there, I was like, we're the same but different. Our similarities, it, it, it's, it's quite uncanny, and I, I don't know why I was surprised by it, but, I mean, they have a strong focus on developing themselves through an academic journey with the intent to hopefully gain a degree at that Warrus of Class 2 uh, Sergeant Major or Master Sergeant level. And, and, and for some people, for you to be an instructor, At major academy you need to have a masters and they actually enable that uh will facilitate that uh, give give people opportunities to do that so i I suppose that that's the main difference uh in that that aspect um so as as a consequence a lot of their training you get you gain those units of credit that it can uh, attribute or to uh, those overall qualifications as they go along in the, their development, I suppose. But what I also found uh, different over there, and I, I know we do have some organisations that do do it over here, is a lot of their their academic institutions give free courses to uh, veterans, or they're all right. reduced, or at a reduced rate as well, significantly. So. That, that, that was a, a thing I did sort of witness while I was over there
0: and, so, and how, do, how do you think we can do things better
1: well I, I suppose when I do when I wrote the article uh, obviously I, I referred to the sub three for education so again it's a personal view I, I think uh, when I when I reflect back on my my time over there, uh sorry in the united states i'll be honest the subjects reflecting back on some of the sub- subject three components that i had to do it, it actually did assist me um so i, I think we we, we, more, we should look at reintroducing that that again and I, I did get some feedback from some some higher offers in, in regards to my article, and they're saying, well, I, I don't necessarily need a, a warrant or a Sergeant Major to have a degree to, to do the job. I just need to be able to go to those friction points, uh, understand my intent, and then trying to influence.
0: Yeah, and, and it's not always going to, but you're not always going to be a Sergeant Major. It's post or even before <laughs> being a Sergeant Major with the staff work and, and things like that. Yeah, no, you're right. So
1: to my point with that, yeah, I, I get that. And some people, particularly with our our sort of generation mark, is that if you mention, oh, let's do, uh, let's go do a degree, you have like a physical reaction, if you know what I mean, like you dread the thought. But I'll I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest and say I'm a better person now in regards to the, for going through this process, and that I do think differently now. Even that was only a a ten month course, but I definitely critical and creative, creative creatively think differently as a consequence uh of, of doing that so I that's mean, fantastic i mean uh, so for me honestly think through if we do do a, a similar go back to the old sub three for education or link certain academic milestones to these courses that we do have to do progressively i, I think we're just going to get a better product as you said we're not it's not all about being a sub major. We want our we want our people to be better if, for if they do transition and move out into the wider world. If you know what I mean. So I, I think it as a consequence of that academic process, you, you're better. You're a better communicator, both orally and and you're able to write effectively as well and and, and to the point. Uh, so that's that's sort of my sort of perspective in regards to that. That's great.
0: So how did you get uh, nominated for this? Was it something you asked for? Was it offered to you? And was there any suitability testing done prior to going over? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know well it, It's uh, another great question. So for me, it was a bit of a dream, I suppose, if, if
0: I could say that. So you, you
1: always heard about your SASMA back in the day. And, and, and as you know, there's not a lot of opportunities for us senior soldiers um, for these international type PME courses. Uh, whereas officers have a have a few, uh, so it's sort of the in my sort of eyes it was the pinnacle, and I and I didn't really think I uh, was in a position to actually be considered for it. So just through I suppose performance, um, right place, right time, and actually starting to talk the narrative about it, and obviously falling in sync uh, for that, it, it sort of came about. So to effectively SWAMS nominated me uh, for the position. However, my assessing officer and senior assessing officer wrote it on my RSM PIR. So when I was RSM of uh, 4th Regiment and then through these circumstances in some conversations with some senior RSMs, Dave Allen uh, to name, yep. to name uh, an individual uh, and some and- other senior officers, all of a sudden it came a possibility really. So um, yeah, it, it was on my PIR. Uh, next minute, I was um, getting notified by, by Swans that I was going to I was being considered for it, and then yeah, that I, that I got it.
0: Well done. And had you done any tertiary education prior to attending, and did you feel prepared before you jumped on the plane to go over to the states?
1: No, I hadn't done any tertiary <laughs>
0: education.
1: So to go back to the previous, those leverage of in regards to the suitability piece. Yeah, it's just from my my perspective. It's just off. Uh, Uh, Performance, but towards the end they made me go to. I had to go to and do a sight test in regards to that suitability. So yeah, and I got through that. But yeah, no tertiary education other than, I suppose through my own self as an individual, I do have a tendency to read a lot, both military and other sort of self-help development books. But I did do a uh, when I was a master gunner at 812th Regiment, I did decide to do a um, a tertiary writing course. Uh, through UNE, uh, University of New England. So, yeah, I did do that. So that did definitely help me. And then also before you actually do the sub-major course, you have to do a pre-course. All internationals turn up in May. So the May course doesn't start till till June, so, oh, late June, something like, early July. So you, all the internationals turn up late May and you go through a, a four- to six-week uh, pre-course, with, which, ha- which sets the conditions on the expectations on what you're going to be exposed to now for us, or well, for me, is English speaking that's not that's it's 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 pretty good, uh, but you can also imagine with the international student piece how difficult it is for them as non English speakers to come into an environment. Some of them haven't even been exposed to any of the technical piece, i.e., computers and being able to write an essay on the computer, um, yep. so it, it's quite. massive learning journey for them in regards to that and and i'll be honest initially i was like what have they got me doing a a pre-course for but it it definitely set me up for success
0: and i felt very very prepared for when i actually started the the main course itself so you mentioned this in your most recent cove article about the international pre-course what types of things did you do on there and would something like this be beneficial in the growth of australian ncos
1: yeah, so the, the components that we covered, so effectively at a higher sort of level, covers off on US defence, what their mission is, and then it cascades down into the respective services and what their, their missions are as well. Uh, so you get a, a brief overview, overview of the, the US force structure of the organisation and so forth. You then get told what NICOCO does and then the, the, the respective um, components within Nickel Co. Well, and Tradoc as a higher, as the higher organisation, but then what it does is it then concentrates on building your skills to prepare you for the course in regards to those written and oral communication skills. So you do a few oral presentations, you do, uh, and you write an essay. And for some, that's it's quite a quite a yep. journey. What they do, particularly with the writing component, is they build it slowly and gradually and conf- do a lot of confirmation stages with it and a lot of practical exercises to the point where yeah, you did you, you spend a fair bit of time on develop a thesis statement for example and then going into the, the body of your of your essay and then and then culminating with the conclusion so that so that with the intent at the end of it you're able to
0: to give a 750 word uh, personal experience essay know right. so you, you've mentioned that Doing this course has uh, has helped you and, and you think differently now, but what formal qualifications did you gain from your study and how do you think that will assist you in your future, whether that be in or out of the military?
1: Okay, so, well, we'll, we'll talk to it a bit later, but the networking piece was massive. But in regards to formal qualifications, so the, the actual SART major course is an accredited course itself. So they've aligned it with a with a university over there or a college, when you gain a Bachelor of Arts in Leadership and Workforce Development. Uh, so for me, I haven't completed that complete. I've still got a couple of components. So effectively not, if you just turn up and you haven't done any tertiary education, you won't get the complete degree, you're about at 95% right? complete. So that's sort of the intent. So a lot of other, other uh, students, they did the additional, courses over the year uh, and some of them actually had already got uh, respective bachelor's so they decided to do masters so a lot of the the students because it's only a 10-month course a lot of them don't bring their families so so they go on a company so they use that time to engage or immerse themselves fully into that academic space because as you can imagine there's a lot of hours that goes in goes into this
0: absolutely uh,
1: so, and for me, I started off doing a, an additional course, but it, it came at a cost to my family. So it was a balance between professional and, uh, and personal time. So I, I, I'll be honest, I cut it away. Because my sort of routine was uh, obviously during the week, you're engaged with the academic stuff. And a, and a normal working hour, working day, you're going from 0, 0900 to, to 1500. But after that, you obviously got some homework. So I'd come home, spend some time with the family, which was good. So I could, most days I could go pick up my, my youngest son from school or come back, spend a couple of hours with them and then have dinner and then after dinner I'd do some study or writing or, or whatever. So that that was sort of the, the journey with that. But, yes, yeah, so the overall, I suppose, of qualification in Gato is just that for me, for I put it in an Australian Army perspective, is units of credit towards um, what? Um, Bachelor of Arts in Leadership and Leadership and Development or something like that.
0: So. All right, great. And you mentioned this then it was also about networking. You must have made uh, some new friends. What other countries attended the course? Uh, and is there anyone in particular that had an influence on you?
1: Well, mate, there's... So to, <laughs> to put this in perspective, so the class itself, uh, I can't remember the exact people that actually graduated or walked the stage. It was something like 519.
0: <laughs> wow. So
1: that's the scale, and then you're broken up into the five departments and you just rotate through, what they call pods. So you stay in your pod, but you change up classrooms each semester. And out of that 500 odd people, I think we had 59 internationals, something like, or maybe 52, sorry, 52 internationals, something yep. like that. So again, what a an excellent opportunity to, to network, uh, the massive component and a benefit that I, I think, besides the academics, Space. It was a, a massive thing for me, and, and something I really enjoyed and embraced because I was very mindful of it. Uh, so the other countries you're looking at are oh, you're looking at obviously our, our partners: um, New Zealand, Fiji, UK, Canada, countries all through Af- Africa and all through Europe. So it's quite extensive. Oh, yeah, South America. So. Uh, you got people from Mexico and, and, and so forth. So it is excellent. I suppose the one country, a couple of countries that sort of stand out and I had a, a strong connection with them is the United Kingdom, Sarah Cox. Her and I had developed a very good relationship. The Kiwi, Kiwi sub-major we had over here, Jeff. And then also a uh, Canadian instructor, because oh, sorry, student, because then we became instructors together. He stayed on within the academy. And Singapore. I, I developed a, a really good rapport with uh, the, the two Singapore students while well, I was a student as well. But I suppose linking that, that's a, a student perspective, but as an instructor perspective, again, you're exposed to different students, from different cultures, different countries when they come into your room each semester. Uh, so that included Lebanon, Madagascar, Latvia, and so forth. So, yeah, that, that was definitely a highlight, great benefit from, um, from being on course.
0: All right. Uh, so during your second year, you were an instructor. What were some of your duties during this period?
1: So similar to us as an instructional position, either
0: at, at Kapuka or RMC or
1: AvFOR or Wonko. So it's just delivering certain curriculum for, okay. for yourself. So, but for me, I, I mentioned that we broken up in departments. So the way it works if you for us now, because we're doing, it's just two years, they've, they've changed it now. So you'll do one year as a student, one year as an instructor. You then get the opportunity to stay on and go to a department, depending on vacancies. So each department normally has two international instructors assigned to it. Now, for my rotation, uh, Department of Force Management and Department of Professional Studies was were the only two that were available, uh, and I chose to to do Department of Force Management. And um, as I mentioned, the Canadian who stay he he was to stay on. He went to Department of Professional Studies. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, Andrew Killen. He was my uh, predecessor before me. Yeah, he was an instructor. We ended up being instructor for three years. He was in Department of Professional Studies. I, I effectively thought, well, I'm going to mix it up a bit. I didn't want to be part of the furniture, for lack of better words. Yeah. So I thought I'd go to Department of Force Management uh, where Trudy Casey, previously instructed. Now, as an artilleryman, it's all about, obviously, an effect in the battle space, all about the rounds on time, on target. Department of Force Management, is all about sustainment and how the army runs. So I was completely out of my comfort zone uh, in that space. But you know what? I learned so much as a consequence of that. Uh, So I think now, particularly in the strategic space, I have a better understanding of how the army runs and how we normally get after trying to solve those problems we face within the organization but yeah so the the actual curriculum within that it just honed in on how like i said before current force versus future force versus the analysis on what how we see
0: the operating environment will be in the future and then getting after trying to solve that problem congratulations on on being selected firstly and and completing it. it sounds like a a wonderful experience as I stated at the in the introduction, you've got a passion for the development of our people. How do you think we can improve in this space and how would you make it better?
1: Yeah, definitely have a passion. And again, I'm, I'm not the, the font of all knowledge in this space and there's some other people getting after trying to develop our people. But personally, I think we need to hone in on being or maybe adopting mindsets of being better coaches, teachers and mentors. Are trying to help our people develop and strive for things that they never thought possible. Also, I, I also, I know we're in the military, but sometimes it's good to think outside of the military lane, I suppose, and and maybe throw different um, sort of topics that aren't necessarily uh, military uh, to our people, just to test their their thinking in regards to that as well. Now, I also understand training transformation has occurred, or has been occurring for some time. Uh, and I know, well, I'm, I'm probably uh, don't really, I'm, I'm not across what has happened in the two years I'm away, but I think we're, we're very um, steadfast, I suppose, in, in the way we, we used to train our people. I think we need to, particularly in the training space, we need to continually evolve. Um, we need to have contemporary sort of training um, mechanisms um, so we keep our people so, interested. So a, a thing that I really enjoyed my instruction year was the, the US use a thing called the experiential learning model, EIN. So it's, it's more pertained to a classroom environment but they, they, they use they leverage practical exercises or, or they start the lesson with trying to ascertain what level the students are at in regards to a particular experience. And then based off their feedback, that the instructor will then becomes more of a facilitator and then shapes the lesson based off the experience of the classroom. And what I found with that, you get more buy-in from students uh, and it sort of relates more to, to, the, to the working environment. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And me also as an instructor, my active listening skills uh, were, they improved out of sight because you, you, you had to listen to what they will saying and particularly internationals mm. as well, trying to get their content context and then trying to relate it to what you're trying to teach Um, so I I think within that training space we just need to continue to evolve Uh, I I mean I'm I'm not saying that we need to go far far the other way and be like a university I'm not saying that at all but I think we need to be flexible and I think COVID has sort of highlighted that we do have the ability to do that um, but we're just got to be careful I still think we need to have some residential components but we also need to have some non-residential
0: absolutely Oh, that's great. And uh, so obviously you you mentioned before you took your entire family over there. How was it for them? And was there a small Australian community that you got involved with?
1: Uh, Yeah, so my my family, so it was my wife, uh, my two sons, a 16-year-old and a 9-year-old, they they all went over. We went over there with a mindset to say yes to opportunity. And you know what, to be, uh, as much as it was a reward for me, uh, I suppose professionally, but personally, like my family have bounced all over Australia uh, throughout those 29 years, and this was a reward for them as well. So my wife um, will effectively became my travel agent. So we 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 travelled. So the good thing about the academy is that the program is is locked in. So whenever there's a, a training weekend, you get four days off so we traveled and then you get your big summer break and spring breaks as well so my children as a consequence of that have been exposed to a culture or a country that yeah it'll forever I suppose be in their memories Uh, and then also my son my oldest son he or both of them embraced schooling over there My, my my youngest he was um he was like ducks at school, albeit in year three and year four while he was over there, so he's a bit of a rock star. And then my eldest, he really enjoyed uh, the high school over there to the point where he played, played American football, so he played gridiron. And so, yeah, to sum it all, up, personally, life-changing experience, really, and just so thankful for the opportunity, really, professionally and personally. It's definitely a, a, a highlight for for my career. But to I suppose the Australian community, obviously you have, when, when you're over there, you have one person in the box as a student and then the other Australian acts as the, uh, well, is the instructor, but they're sort of the, the, the coach and the me- mentor for that. You also have, you reach back into the embassy. But what I also did is I um, sort of build just a small chat group with the other woe 2s that are posted over there, one at 29 Palms that currently was, I want to Ryan Snell. And then at Benning, you've got Dave Nichols, um, and then more specifically on, who was at Camp Pendleton. So I just tried to keep in contact with them as well. But randomly also, you talk about Australians. And we went to El Paso, which is uh, not, not on the travel sort of belt, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, so it's a border town, links with Mexico, uh, New Mexico and, and Phoenix but it's funny how you as a, when you go in on, on an international posting and you're you're speaking sort of a you have a different um, accent or you speak a different language how you can pick up on Australian so long story short there was a, an Australian reporter sports reporter for one of the TV channels we sort of we tried to reach out to her but we didn't get much traction with her but there was an Australian punter at the University of Texas El Paso uh, Joshua Sloan, uh, we reached out to him and he gave us some some tickets to, to some college games and so forth. So there are a few sort of random uh, Aussies over there, but, yeah, it's, it's more the, the military side of the house in regards to that support.
0: Fantastic. And so final question, and couldn't not be from the Cove to ask it. You, you, you've obviously uh, submitted a few articles to the Cove and you obviously read a few. What has been your favourite Cove article? Another great question, mate.
1: Uh, I suppose anything to, from our junior leaders, considering they're the, the coalface, the sort of the heartbeat of the organisation. If if they have if they're taking the time to write something, put pen to paper, and then put it out there publicly, that matters. Um, so I think anything like that, uh, generally, sort of, I, I like to see specifically on the cove. That's great.
0: All right, Nathan. Well, thanks for your time today and thanks for, for supporting the Cove. I'd love to get a few more articles from you in the future and congratulations and good luck next year at Seven Brigade. To our listeners, thanks again for joining us on this Cove podcast. Make sure you keep an eye out for more podcasts in the future and don't forget to download the Cove app. It's PME in your pocket anywhere, anytime.